Episode 116 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we review one of 2020's rare theatrical releases, the body swap slasher, Freaky. But first, how are you doing, Scott? I'm doing pretty well. Can't complain. Uh, I, I was just, We were just talking right before we went, you know, started recording that it was just, I mean, I, I saw Tenet, I think listeners of the podcast know that I saw Tenet many times in theaters. I saw, I think, five times. So I, got, I did get my fair share you know, a few months ago when Tenet came out, but I had forgotten how fun it is just to go to the theater and watch a movie. And of course it helps when the movie is a lot of fun, like this film is, but it was just nice to be back in the theater again, sitting back watching a movie and having a really great time. And I think that definitely has uh, boosted my weekend as well. Cause again, I, even with Tenet coming out and I watched it a bunch of times, it's been over a month now since I've been at the theater. So it was nice to be back. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I think this was my fifth time because I uh, I had New Mutants, Tenet I went for twice, obviously went to the theater twice for, and then uh, Memories of Murder I saw a couple of weeks ago for a special screening, uh, and then this. So, uh, yeah, but, it, it you know, it, it has been a while, even though I guess it, I think I saw Memories of Murder like maybe a couple of weeks ago. It's like it's still different from when we were going at least once, if not more times a yeah. week. I was going to um, say multiple times a week usually yeah. for me really getting the full use out of that A-list. Um, and yeah, who knows when we're going to get back to that point. Um, but, you know, maybe this latest vaccine news suggests maybe sometime soon. I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's positive maybe. news. It's positive news. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's st- still a long way to go. Um, but hey, look, I... I'm I'm fine with like uh, obviously right now it doesn't make sense for theaters to be open and all these movies to be out but I'm fine with like what we've had here with like a random movie like this uh, maybe getting sprinkled in theaters every couple of weeks just to give us something to go out there and see um, you know obviously it's not the big budget releases that we were anticipating uh, but I think this is the type of movie that you know probably makes sense to at least give it a short theatrical run I think the people who you know, want to see this, who it's, it's up their alley. will be willing to go to the theater if you can, wherever they live. Um, and then it is, from what I understand, it is going to VOD relatively soon. I think in, in just two or three weeks, it's going to be on VOD. So I, I think, yeah. I, I, I hope some other movies like, like promising young woman, I think is still supposed to come out next month. I could see them potentially doing a similar thing with that, with, um, you know, getting the, letting the target audience sort of go out and, and see this in theaters um, and then, you know, letting everybody else who maybe is curious, but either doesn't want to go out to the theater or can't go out to the theater, um, check it out in in two or three weeks. I think that's a reasonable strategy for the situation we find ourselves in. Yeah. And I think, yeah, right. So Universal did make this deal with AMC, right? That they, after 17 days, which is three weekends, they're able to just go straight to VOD. So this film, like you said, is going to be out probably two weeks tomorrow as of recording. So two weeks from Monday. Uh, it's probably going to be out on VOD, which is great because this is also the kind of movie where I understand the whole Friday, you know, it's Friday the 13th. You need to release a horror movie on a Friday the 13th. But I do wish we'd had this movie last month yeah. for Halloween because I can definitely see myself, you know, this and Happy Death Day to be another Christopher Landon films as being like, you know, the the perennial 
rewatches for someone of my own tastes and in horror and what I'm looking for to watch around Halloween because it works really well. And, you know, going back to the theater point too, you know, I had to think about whether or not, because things are getting worse again, like much worse again, honestly, if not worse than they even were earlier this year and had to Mm -hmm. really think about whether I wanted to go to the theater and honestly not sure if I will go to the theater again anytime soon. I felt okay about it. Everyone wore masks. You know, I was in Dolby, so they have the huge chairs, the recliners that space people out even more. So that was good. But yeah, it's still, you know, I feel like not still. It's like, it's again, even though I felt pretty good about going to Tenet, I mean, that theater was huge and there weren't very many people in it and everyone was wearing masks for me. But even now, like things are as bad as they were again in May, June, July, if not worse. And so I think it's a hard decision again. And I was actually thinking it, thinking after I saw Freaky, like I, I might actually just go ahead and cancel my A-list because I don't want to keep paying the $25 a month that it is. Even if I, even if I'd end up going to see a movie a month, still cheaper uh, just to buy the ticket. So yeah, especially cause they're doing $5 off any tickets before like 5 PM or whatever right now at AMC. So it's like way cheaper just to, just to buy the one ticket per month if that's what I'm going to do. So that's kind of the direction I'm leading. And honestly, even with this recent vaccine news, I don't think theaters are really going to be back up and running again. And movies aren't really going to be releasing again. Um, that like, you know, exclusively through, theaters without this kind of short release window you know probably till march of next year at the be- at best and then at worst probably the summer so we'll, yeah. we'll see how things happen but i think i'm leaning towards not going back to the theater again anytime soon unfortunately yeah you know i, I uh i felt okay about it um there were there were a few people in my screening but everyone thankfully wore masks um you know, I, I would go back, but I also live in smaller places than uh, than a smaller place than you. I, obviously, I'm moving, but I'm moving to even a smaller place than I live now. Um, and so, you know, I probably um, number one, the virus situation. Well, actually, it probably is a little bit worse here. I don't know, but um, it's a double-edged sword, though. The smaller place, it's like it's either going to be better or worse, yeah. and there's like not really much space in between. True. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, again, I, I felt comfortable doing it, but if things continue to, to increase, right. Cause it's not just that things are staying the same. It's that numbers are actually increasing in a lot of places. No, it's, it's the worst um, that it's ever been in most places yeah. right now. If things start to increase, um, then yeah, I, I might have to rethink that. Obviously I'm going to be working on a daily basis in an office with people now. So, um, yeah, so you're, you're I, working I, in person. You're not, you're yeah. not working remotely. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in person. That's, kind of why I have to move next weekend. But, um, yeah. but oh, yeah. But so funny thing also about your, your workplace, I've gotten texts from multiple people asking me if I got a new job from the newsletter going out last week. That was so funny. I, I, that is funny, but I thought it was clear. I yeah. thought it's been clear for a while now that I'm the one writing this thing. Um, I'm pretty sure that pe- I'm pretty sure that these people that texted me also knew, like they should at this point know who writes the newsletter, yeah. not to out them on the podcast, but it was really funny that multiple, I got multiple texts on like Friday and, and yesterday asking if, uh, if I'd gotten a new job, I'm like, nope, that's, that's the other Scott. That's yeah. That's funny. It kind of, Cause I know there are some people who receive it that know only you like that don't know me, I think. So, so yeah. I don't know if that it was people. some of those people, but yeah, I was yeah. going to say, yeah, maybe they just like, because they know only you, they just associate the newsletter with, with you writing it. But yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like it would have a much different voice if you were the one writing it, it as opposed yeah. to uh, how I, I, I write it. Like I, I like I'm pretty informal with it. Yeah, yeah, we're both fairly funny people, but you're, I feel like your written humor is a lot is a lot more recognizable and better than than mine. Um, I don't have yeah, that humor in my, my spoken humor, humor, probably. But I feel like that's how everyone is. When you have the time to think about it, you can. Well, be funny, I'm not that way know, though. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like my spoken humor is funnier than I just like don't think about writing humor into the things that I write. But yeah, yeah. 
we'll let our podcast listeners be the judge of that. But uh, yeah, There's anyway, Scott, <laughs> as mentioned uh, today on the podcast, our movie is Freaky. Uh, Freaky is the latest from the mind of director Christopher Landon, who, like in his recent Happy Death Day series, transplants a classic comedy, this time Freaky Friday, to a slasher setting. Freaky opened opens on Thursday the 12th, where we meet Catherine Newton's Millie, a quiet, off-bully teenager who lives with her police officer's sister and her mother, who is still recovering from her husband's death the previous year. On the evening of that Thursday the 12th, Millie finds herself alone at school, where she is discover, terrified to discover that she is about to become the next victim of the Blissfield Butcher, a notorious local serial killer played by Vince Vaughn, or so it seems. But when the butcher stabs Millie with his ancient dagger, something less bloody and more mystical than expected occurs. The next morning, when Millie and the butcher wake up, they discover that they are each other. Millie is suddenly in the hulking six-foot-five body of the butcher, while the but butcher is inhabiting Millie's petite frame. An investigation by Millie and her friends soon uncovers the secret of the dagger. If Millie, disguised as the butcher, doesn't stab the butcher, disguised as Millie, before Friday the 13th is over, the two will be permanently trapped in each other's bodies. Scott, is Freaky a fun new spin on a classic comedy setup, or is it a lazy attempt by Landon to recreate the giddy fun of the Happy Death Day films? Yeah, definitely more the former than the latter. I think this movie is a lot of fun. Like, I, I was a latecomer to the Happy Death Day film. I think I saw it for the first time maybe a couple years ago at this point, um, which was... I guess it wasn't that late because it came out, what, 2016, 2017? Um, but I was a little bit of a latecomer to it. You, you, you know, you poked and prodded me to watch it. And that film is a lot of fun. And Christopher Landon certainly has his own signature. Uh, and I would say creative takes on slasher franchise, sl slasher franchises and, and doing something new and interesting with that, you know, with, through that lens and through his own creative, you know, thinking. And, you know, he did it there with the sort of Groundhog Day hit a uh, hook to and then added a, a, even an, a, another layer onto that and with the sequel and happy that's a to you but again kind of hitting the refresh button on this since at least for the time being you know the 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 finale of that what was supposed to be a trilogy has been put on hold and doing something like this with freaky with blumhouse again it really works for me i think that it's really fun look is it is it better than happy death day for me no and I, but i don't want to spend the entire podcast comparing it to happy death day because they're you know they're through in a, in a similar creative vein but very different movies um and but it's still a lot of fun i was again talking to, i can't remember if i if i said this on air already or if this was before we started recording but like i would love this to have been like the halloween movie that we got this year right which you know we did our halloween special we did scream and and whatnot but this is a film that i can totally see myself revisiting on future you know halloween's or friday the 13th says you know a fun movie uh, you know a fun hundred minute you know time to, to rewatch this film and enjoy you know several or at least one but i think probably a few good performances and definitely take a spin on that body swap genre that usually like frankly usually that comedy hasn't worked for me that much i think it's a bit i think it's a bit silly and i think this movie is still a little bit especially more so than happy death day but a little more silly than my tastes might usually work for but the way that it grounds itself and, and comfortably sits on the fence between that sort of horror and comedy genre and, and fuses the two, you know, makes up for what the, the, the gags that maybe don't work quite as well for me or, or feel just a little bit, you know, more basic or, um, I don't know, cheesy, whatever, like whatever you want to call it, right? Like does, uh, a horror or sorry, a comedy genre that doesn't normally work as well for me 
the horror elements that that it adds into it and, and again these sort of like funky funny performances really really work and overall i think it's very creative i definitely recommend it uh especially you know you know comfortable or not going to the theater especially after it comes out on vod i definitely recommend it yeah with the temporal thing it's like yeah i wish it would have come out on halloween as well um but like i ultimately i get i get it it's because it's yeah. not just like we're going to put it out on friday the 13th because it's a scary day or whatever it like it actually is um you know important to the movie because it does play take place on Friday the 13th. And yeah. I didn't even think about this part of it, but when I was listening to Breakfast All Day's review, Matt actually was pointing out that, oh, the title is probably supposed to be a fun, like spin on, like you would think the title would be Fr Freaky Friday the 13th, right? Because it's a mashup of like those two types. Like it's a mashup of Freaky Friday, Friday the 13th. But instead they just went with Freaky. Um, yep. But yeah, so so the Friday the 13th angle, I guess, ultimately, I, it, it justifies, I guess, ultimately it coming out at this time. But also yeah, Freaky yeah. is a better name than Freaky Friday the 13th. That'd be a terrible name. Yeah, that and that's probably what it did. I think it would have yeah. been <laughs> mouthful. But um, but yeah, Scott, podcast listeners, uh, newsletter readers, friends of me will know that uh, Happy First Death Day is, is a movie that I really, really love um, and have you know, he's one of the movies that I've rewatched the most times over the last few years because it is such a rewatchable, fun film. I mean, it's it's by no means high art, but it's not aiming to be right. And I think it, it totally hits the bullseye for what it's aiming to be, which is just this fun, um, you know, kind of comedy spin on a slasher movie with uh, a lot of heart, with a surprising amount of heart to it. Um, and, you know, I, I actually think one of the interesting things comparing the two movies, again, I don't want to compare the two movies either because, you know, one thing I want to say is that my experiences, I feel like are so different with the two movies because with Happy Death Day, uh, you know, I, I love the movie. I mean, I think it's a incredibly well executed and well done movie after rewatching it a lot of times, but a lot of my appreciation for it on the first watch or so was the surprise element, right? Because I literally went to see it on a random afternoon when I was in law school, didn't even really know that much about it. Saw it had okay reviews. I just wanted to go see something. And then I walked out and I was like, holy crap, that was incredibly fun. Um, so like, I can't dis dissociate that surprise element for, it, uh, from my brain from when I think about the movie, but, um, and this, and this movie obviously doesn't have that, right. Because I, you know, was really excited for this when the first trailer that I saw, um, and, you know, expected it to be good, read all of the reviews saying that it is good. And yeah, it's really good. Um, and it, you know, is the same sort of formula in a way as Happy Death Day. Um, again, that at least on that broad description that I, I gave of like, it is a comedy spin, classic comedy spin on a slasher movie with a lot of heart to it. Uh, but I actually think that this movie is more of a horror movie, is more of a slasher than Happy Death Day is for sure. Like Happy Death Day, honestly, I understand classifying it as horror or slasher, whatever, but it's more of a whodunit, to be, to be honest. It's more of who is in the baby face mask, and, and that is kind of what uh, what Tree is trying to uncover over the course of, um, you know, the movie. And then Happy Death Day to You was just kind of, again, its own animal. It was like almost a sci-fi movie, right, because there's all of this science being introduced into it about how yeah. the, you know, Groundhog Day thing works, and they have to, you know, do all of this stuff in order to to break the cycle so that they can actually all go on to the next day. Um, but I think this movie, for me, it recaptures the magic of Happy Death Day. Like I, I really liked Happy Death Day to you, but I just felt like what it was premised on, like what, I, what I'm talking about there of like, hey, we're gonna explain 
you know, why this is happening. I just feel like that didn't need to happen. Like, and I, I like some of the ways that they, you know, did that. I like some of the things they did with the character and the characters in the story. But like, what I like about the first movie is that it's like, we don't care why this is happening, right? It's happening, right? She's, she's in a Groundhog Day loop. Who cares why it's happening? You understand what this is because you've seen these types of movies before. So we're not going to like, you know, bore you with a lot of exposition. And Freaky is the same way in, in a lot of ways, right? Like they, once the body swap happens, they don't spend that much time on it, right? They don't spend that much time with the like broad comedy, right? Like you, you said, uh, that you might come to expect, you know, like we get the scene of him, of, of, of uh, the killer disguised as Millie, you know, he looks in the mirror, he like touches his boobs or whatever that he has now. And like, that's about it. Um, you know, that in terms of like the traditional gags that you expect to some extent, that's about as far as it went. And that's what I like. Yeah. And, that, and, you know, the whole peen standing up and, and you know, Mil- that, yeah, Millie, that, that, uh, yeah, that's it. But it's so, uh, I really, I was really hoping that they weren't going to do that, but they, but they did it. Oh, well, but you know, they, they move on from it pretty quickly. And I think the important thing is I was having a good time the whole time. And that's so like those few moments didn't like um, yeah. sour it for me. But, and then the other thing, right. Is that with the butcher character, you know, they don't try to give him a backstory or anything like you would expect in uh, a slasher movie. I mean, you know, the famous slashers, you know, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween. A lot of the movies are about like explaining the, you know, backstory of how Freddy Krueger was born, how Michael Myers came to be Michael Myers, the killer that he is. They don't care about that in this movie. And that is that's totally fine with me. Like we, we understand that this guy is a serial killer and that's all we need to understand because he's not going to undergo any sort of redemptive arc or anything over the course of the movie. That's not the type of movie that it is. So I like the efficiency in the storytelling is what I'm trying to say. Plus, it's just a heck of a lot of fun, right? It's got really fun kill sequences. Uh, I think the the two perform- two central performances are uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I think uh, Vince Vaughn gets the showier role and he really makes the most of it. But I think Catherine Newton does really does a really good job with the uh, again the less showy role, uh, but in any in some ways maybe more difficult role um, of yeah. when she is you know playing the killer basically in her own body. Um, and so I, I mean I, I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. I think uh, it you know is is a blast. Again, I think you know maybe there's a little 2020 bias with having not seen a lot of movies. Maybe there's a little theater bias with having not seen a lot of movies in theaters. Um, but to me, this is, this is close to capturing the magic of happy death day. Like it, it's not, it's better than happy death day to you. For me, it's a little bit below happy death day as it stands, but you know, with happy death day, a lot of it was what I got on rewatch and I know I'm going to be rewatching Freaky a lot. So who knows? It may even surpass it someday. But what I do know is that Christopher Landon gets it or he, he gets me, uh, when it comes to these types of movies, like I want him to make one of these every single year. Like, honestly, go through the list of comedies, um, you know, c- classic comedy setups, whatever you want to do, and just turn them into these types of slasher movies. And I, I mean, I, I trust him um, all the way now after these past three movies. I think he he's found his niche. And, you know, these movies, again, they're not high art, but they're not aiming to be. And for what they are aiming to be, it pretty much is a dead on bullseye for me. Yeah, I, I think it's undeniable that, look, I, I saw this film a couple hours before you did. I came out of the theater texting you like, you're going to love this film. Like, you're going to love yeah. it. Like, I don't know. Again, self, shoving aside the comparison of Happy Death Day, it's just like it's got your, your movie language written all over it. Like what you enjoy about everything that you enjoy about horror and everything you enjoy about comedy mashed together. Like it's, it's there. right? And, and to be fair, what you enjoy about comedy movies is pretty narrow. So when it's able to to find that alignment and mesh it with 
you know, something else to create something for you that's better than some of the parts. It's awesome. It's awesome, right? Like it works. Really yeah. Well. And, and you know, I was thinking about that too because you were you did say to me last night you were like I I thought you might not like it quite as much because you know some of the comedy is a little broad, or whatever. It's the type of stuff you didn't like. And you know, I was thinking about that and I was like, it's not that I really like laughed a lot. Like it's not that I found um, the movie. Yeah that funny and i don't find like the happy death day movies that funny it's just like the spirit and the vibes of it right that i appreciate mm. that like they are you know that they have their tongue firmly in cheek they know the type of movie that they're trying to make um and that they're having a lot of fun with the silliness of the concept of the genre of slasher movies whatever it themselves um i just appreciate that they are willing to take that sort of approach to the yeah. movies, even if I'm not like, you know, rolling on the floor laughing at any of the gags, sure. I just think it's, it's very good natured and good spirited. And that is what strikes a chord with me uh, more than yeah. any of the jokes per se, which is, which is like, you know, which is totally fine because like, I'm not the type of person who those jokes are going to connect with anyway. So I think yeah, there but, are, there are people out there. So yeah, I was going to say, will, not to say that there aren't people out there that would be rolling on the floor laughing at this movie, but it, I, that's not the kind of movie that that's not the kind of comedy yeah. that that either I don't think Christopher Landon's ever really going for. It, but right, and to be to be fair, right, like a lot of the humor isn't like to me the worst type of broad humor. Like there are there isn't that much like scatological humor or any ha Happy Death Day. I won't give it five stars on Letterbox because it has that one fart joke. I, I I won't do it because of that. But there's not really any of that type of stuff in Freaky. There's not like a, you know, extremely raunchy humor or anything, even though this is rated R, right? And the, uh, the Happy Death Day movies were not. And I think this movie benefits from being rated R, you know, for a, a few reasons, you know, one of which is the kill sequences are allowed to be a lot more creative and, and grisly, I think. But, um, but see, you know, at the least, there are some pretty grisly ones. Yeah, there are. Um, <laughs> you know, there's no scatological humor. There's no like extremely raunchy humor. There's not a lot of slapstick or anything like that. Like, so it, it's not like bottom of the barrel humor or anything. It's just like, you know, baseline, very middle of the road in a lot of places. I mean, there were definitely places that I, I did, you know, chuckle, but there was nothing that made me fall out the floor. But Scott, let's talk about, um, let's get into the cast a little bit and, and let's talk about the two stars one by one. Um, yes, and we'll start with Catherine Newton, who, uh, you know, we've obviously been aware of her for a little bit. We both were fans of a couple of TV shows that she's been in, Big Little Lies and uh, The Society, R.I.P. Um, but um, this is kind of her first starring role in a movie, right? We saw her in Detective Pikachu as sort of a supporting role. Probably not quite the right role for her in that movie. Um, but this is really sort of her first uh, film starring role. Um, and I'm wondering whether you think, uh, you know, she she holds her own in this movie. Does it measure up to like the hot, the very high bar, right, set by Jessica Roth in the uh, the Happy Death Day movie? Not to keep comparing them, but I think it, it naturally bears comparison because, you know, they're both like young blonde actresses playing students in this type of, um, you know, tongue-in-cheek horror movie. Um, what do you think about how what Catherine Newton does here as Millie and then as the butcher in Millie's body? Yeah, so good good one. Uh, good questions here. Because I think that first I want to say that of the two leads, I'll just knock this out of the way. I think Catherine Newton is actually doing a lot better than Vince Vaughn for me. And I'll get, in, I'll get into why that. I don't think all that is Vince Vaughn's fault, but I'll get into why I think that's the case. And first off, I think that Catherine Newton here, anytime you're playing some sort of like body swap role, you're essentially playing two different characters. Yes, obviously it's the same person, same body, etc. But playing two different, embodying two different characters, I think that there's a lot to do. 
for both Vince Vaughn and for Catherine Newton. Certainly, I agree with your assessment earlier that Vince Vaughn has a flashier role because most of the movie, Millie, this character that you know Catherine Newton is playing, is the butcher and is very, you know, I don't even know, like so, it's like solemn, barely speaking at all, very tense character for obvious reasons, being the serial killer that you know the body swap has put her made her into. And I think that Catherine Newton nails that. Like, I'm really, I was really worried. Um, I shouldn't say th- th- that's not the right way to phrase it. I was thinking that she might be typecast into very, a very like obviously fit role for her, which is playing this like, you know, late high school, early college blonde girl who does all these things. Like that's what she was in detective Pikachu. Ultimately. That's like certainly what she was in big little lies in the society. Like I'm really glad that this role gives like, yes, like on the surface, it's this package of, she is this like late high school blonde girl who maybe has like a bat, like a tough history she has to deal with. But like, I'm really glad that she was able to take a role like she had in the society, take that into a film role and do more with that. Cause I think the society was her best, you know, her most robust performance so far before, before this film and arguably still even with this film. But I think that this allows her to show off like in one package, the full range of like, maybe what is like a comfort, like a comfort zone for her and, and what she could easily reach as the kind of typecast actress she might have been at least in the past and maybe still now, I don't know to where she could go with this sort of like complete other end of the spectrum, very solemn, very, um, you know, I, I don't know what the right word is. Like menacing is probably a better word than solemn menacing type character. And I think she nails it. Like she nails that sort of intensity that this sort of like aging serial killer in a 20 something, obviously younger in the film, but like 20 something year old, you know, body. And and I, I really, really like this performance. From her. This is definitely, you know, one of my favorites and, you know, in recent weeks for uh, performances and it just really works. I think that, I don't love the character of Millie sort of before all this happens. I think it's like kind of a boring character, not super interesting, like has like parental issues. Like, again, we talk about this all the time and I understand that film never like we'll never be able to get this right. But like all this whole notion of like she is this senior or junior in high school, whatever she's supposed to be. And she's I mean, like Catherine Newton is gorgeous. Like she's a really attractive person. And like all these people around her in school, like treating her like she's like this ugly girl, like she acting like she thinks it just doesn't it never works. And you talk about this all the time. And it it really clicked with me here as well. And so that's like, that's like really silly to me. She's like, obviously, she has issues with her father dying and, and parental issues. And I understand the psychology that works around that. And I think that there's a way to play with that better in the script and with the character development on that end. But the fact that she gets to flip into the butcher's body for most of the movie then and then the satisfying ending that I think you get as well that all really works for me because the reason why I think not to to briefly start talking about Vince Vaughn although we're not going completely there yet is that I think that the character that Vince Vaughn has to portray for most of this film is like not a good character honestly like it's like just like not a very good character overall and he's asked to do this sort of like very over the top high school girl performance that I think like it's funny and they play it for laughs at times, but this is the part of the film where there's like, it's just too silly. Like what they're trying to do with this character is just too silly. Like surely we can take a senior in high school with bodies up like a little more seriously than this and like not have Vince Vaughn, like just play it, play into like every stereotype that you might imagine of this. And so that's why I think that what Catherine Newton is ultimately able to do one works really well. Cause she's getting frankly for me, what is like a, a better character in that she's this butcher character for most of the film. 
And I think she does a really good job showing that she has the full range to do both Millie and that character. Yeah. You know, as far as Catherine Newton goes, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a really strong performance. And, you know, I was talking about listening to the Breakfast All Day review, and they were actually, and I disagree with this, but they were actually critiquing that they felt like the movie was more lopsided towards Vince Vaughn, that he just gets so much more to do than she does. And, like, it's a showy performance, yes, from Vince Vaughn, but, like, I think it would be wrong if her performance was showy. Like, I think the understated nature of it is why it works. Um, and yeah, it's, and it's the things you're talking about, but it's also like, I think it's a like physical performance, which I think is very good. Like a lot of her body language, like when she first wakes up and she's in the yeah. body, like it's very convincing of like, oh, hey, this is somebody who's used to being in, again, like a six foot five frame, like walking around. There's something not quite right about her body. Like her facial expressions yeah. are like, you know, very confused and all, and all of this stuff. And then, you know, her trying to be physically intimidating. Yeah. Um, and getting, you know, kind of thrown around a little bit. Um, is, I really like that, is, th that this whole premise of like swapping of this like huge hulking serial killer and like essentially like nerfing him into this like high schooler, like high school girl's body is like hilarious. I think that works really well. And and vice versa. And this is where I like I will disagree with you a little bit. And and I guess this to transition us to Vince Vaughn, like I think a couple of th interesting things that he gets to do that go beyond maybe the the broad humor that you might expect from this type of portrayal is number one, there's this whole angle, right? Because she's, she has been bullied. We see this at the start of the movie. There's a group of people that bully her and um, you know, it's, it's very cruel the way that they treat her. One of them ends up getting quite an interesting fate, but, um, but, uh, but so there's this aspect that I really like that they explored this, right? The fact that, she is now in the body of someone who number one is large enough to defend themselves, but also number two is a male. Right. And I, I think that's key to what they're doing. Right. And, you know, the fact that she has gone from like petite teenage girl to, you know, hulking man um, allows her to sort of defend herself um, against those bullies in a way that she has never been able to do before. And, you know, maybe sort yeah. of, you know, explores gender norms in that, in that way a little bit um, of, you know, why the, the male is so much more, you know, fe feared than the, the female, whatever, um, however far you want to go down that road. But uh, I thought that that aspect of it was effective. And I thought that, you know, this one, there's one scene sort of in the car where he gets to um, explore that a little bit more that I thought was a nice note to his performance. Yeah. And I also think that the scene at the discount store, right where her mom works um, and there's a whole conversation that he has with her over the dressing room um, door where, again, they're, I think they're doing smart things with the setup of the movie. The fact that Millie is now in the body of this person who, because there's a whole, you know, right, we learn that, you know, her, her mother is kind of clinging to Millie since the, the father's death and isn't really giving Millie a lot of space. And Millie doesn't really know how to bring it up, right, because she... Um, it, you know, she doesn't want to be mean to her mom, even though it's been a year since the dad has died. She, you know, she doesn't want to be like, hey, move on, which is understandable. But now that she's in the body of this neutral third party, right? And not just a neutral third party, but like this older male or whatever that like might have some, you know, develop some sort of romantic attachment to the mom, at least the mom, you know, uh, develops that for him just over the course of this conversation. Um, she is allowed to sort of be open and express her feelings and connect with her mom in a way that she probably couldn't have um, if it was just her and her 
own body maybe, or that she wouldn't have wanted to, right? She, I think that's the thing. She doesn't want to go down that road. Um, so I think that, you know, that, and both of those points are really key to like the heartfelt nature of the movie. Like Happy Death Day had this too, right? There's the whole, there's a lot of stuff going on with um, Tree and her parents and her her mom's death. You know, I think even there's some, you know, the relationship between Tree and Carter, it becomes very heartfelt by the second movie. Um, but uh, so, so I think that, yes, there is some of that there. There is some of that like giddy, like, you know, him trying to do a little bit of a stereotypical imitation of a teenage girl. Although I don't think it goes yeah. too far down that road, which again, I, it is good. Like certainly early on though. Yeah. Maybe a little bit early on, but again, I guess I was, I'm just thinking about more like the physical humor there. There wasn't a lot of that, which I, I thought was good. Um, and I don't think they go like full Valley girl route with it. Right. Which is, is good because like, that's not who Millie is, right? Like we get to see who Millie is at the start of the movie. And I think Vince Vaughn, has to be can try to you know somewhat consistent yeah. to that in his portrayal of Millie right uh, when he is playing Millie in his body and I think I, I probably that is an area where I might have a little bit of a quibble with the movie because I, I think maybe his character is a little bit more like high strong excitable whatever than we see right uh, so, so that, that's actually what I was about to say it's like I don't think that that character at least again I think it, it works towards that better as the film progresses and especially you know, once you get to the scenes that you're talking about, but the initial, the whole initial scenes, like before, I mean, really while at the school, I guess those characters like didn't really seem to line up very well, very well for me. And, and well, that, that's because I think they were going for something sillier, which was what I was a little confused about. Yeah. Now, I, and I totally understand that for me, I think I just kind of like, I think the situation justifies it, right? Like I think any, even, even a quiet, you know, person like put upon person like Millie, is naturally going to be a lot more, you know, uh, on edge, whatever. Um, sure. When she is put in this situation where she's in this serial killer's body, she has less than 24 hours to, you know, track down the dagger, then stab her counterpart, or she's going to be trapped in this body forever. I think the manic energy that ends up developing is a little bit more believable because of that. But I totally understand people feeling like maybe that there was a slight disconnect there between the Millie that we get at the start of the movie and, you know, at the end of the um, and uh, the Millie that Vince Vaughn is portraying. I still really enjoyed Vince Vaughn's performance. I sure. I like the choices that he's making in his career now. Uh, last year, obviously, I thought he was one of the best parts of fighting with my family. Um, and I think he's he's really good here. And, and he's you know he's he's choosing some smaller um, movies than he would probably normally do. He's getting away from you know that broad school of Will Ferrell, Owen Wilson type comedies that, you know, he sort of made his name off of and which I think makes sense for an actor. He was in uh, Dragged Across Concrete as well. I was about um, to say, that. did you watch that? I, I saw that film, but it was, I did not, but yeah, more, a more dramatic role. I know for sure. Um, so I, I like to see him, um, you know, ch changing things up as he gets in sort of a more closer to the more twilight phase of his career. So um, good job, Vince Vaughn. Um, I do understand some of the critiques of it. And I think, yeah, I probably agree ultimately that I might give a slight nod to Catherine Newton of who gets the stronger performance, but I think they are well matched in the movie. And I, uh, you know, thought it was, it was good casting. Uh, yeah. On, I mean, look, in both Catherine Newton regards. and red leather. It works. Yeah, it does. I, I, I do love that though, that it's like, she puts on a leather jacket. She has a high ponytail and all of a sudden she is just like, you know, a sex symbol or something at her school. She, she goes from like, you know, frumpy, like, wearing the sweaters or whatever from the discount bonanza like all, all it takes is like putting on a jacket and right like i said high ponytail and all of a sudden 
bang, every guy is like yeah. uh, f- falling over her, which is I thought was kind of funny. But but yeah, Scott, uh, I don't know if there's anyone you want to highlight from the supporting cast. I think most of them are relatively unknown. Uh, you know, the one face you might recognize, a fun ode to uh, 80s, you know, coming of age movies, Alan Ruck playing the uh, the woodshop teacher, uh, yeah. obviously famous. Easily the goriest from, death of them all. Yeah, fa- famously Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, I, I thought he was a funny character. Uh, I mean, very mean character, but I thought it was funny. Like the scene where he's like going off on her about like, you know, if you just applied yourself, whatever, you could really make something of yourself. And then like, I was just thinking about it later. I was like, he's a woodshop teacher. <laughs> like what exactly yeah. are you going to make of yourself by applying yourself in a freaking woodshop class? Like, you also, know, maybe it's so it's funny like that they're talking about the A-frame, the A-frame doghouse. Yeah. <laughs> like when she first walks in the classroom, I'm just like, good yeah. Lord, what is this class? Yeah, but that's that's a really I, I and I think he gets to have a little bit of fun there. But then otherwise, you know, I think the supporting cast is generally pretty good. I, I really like the actors that played her two friends. I never I hadn't seen them in anything, but I think they're they're fun characters. Um, I think the mom and sister, you know, I think the actors there get the job done. I don't know if there's anyone you want to highlight, Scott. Um, honestly, not really. I read I read some review that was like it, there's an outstanding supporting cast. I'm like, look, the supporting cast was like fine to good, I'd say. Not an outstanding supporting cast. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see that in in this. It's it. I agree. The friends work. Um, honestly, like the family is like whatever. Like I, this movie is just all Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton for me. There's I mean, there's such, so there's so little airspace for anyone else. And I think the friends. I I think I agree with that. The the sentiment of like the friends do a pretty good job and seem to fit well. Like I like them. They feel like they could have easily also been in, like friends and book smart also, which is a plus for me. They feel um, like real people, I think. Exactly right. Like the, they feel like real people and the, and the performances are fine. Right. Like some of the comedy they do there is like kind of funny um, with like Josh and his sexuality, with, like the conversation with his mom, like coming out as trying to pretend like he's straight. Like that, that, that was like pretty funny. I thought yeah, that was, that was funny, uh, yeah. Yeah. But like, other than that, like the performances are fine, but like no one else in the supporting cast stands out. And I was just really confused when I read that. I was like, well, an outstanding supporting cast. I'm like, this supporting yeah. cast is like fine. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, Scott, I agree that I think it's it's a little too strong to say outstanding supporting cast or anything like that. Um, but I look at it in the same way almost that I look at the supporting cast. I'll compare it again to Happy Death Day, just because I think it's it's a a similar comparison point, right? Like that movie is like. The, the performance you come away from that movie is the lead, right? It's, it's Jessica Roth. You're like, Oh wow. She, she was great. Like this, it is, it is strongly focused on her. However, there is a effective cast of supporting characters that like fill in like these, you know, these bit players and actually turn out to be somewhat memorable in the end. Like, you know, looking back on the two happy death day movies, you know, I certainly, I enjoy, you know, not just tree, but, um, but Carter and Danielle and Lori and, you know, I think there is a, a fun cast of characters there that, yes, the movie is doesn't really spend a lot of time on them by its nature. Uh, but the the, you know, relatively unknown cast um, that they get to fill in these roles end up making, I think, the impact that they're supposed to make with the characters. So, um, you know, if there's a sequel to Freaky, I will be happy to see the friends back. Um, I think there will be. Yeah, I, I hope there will be. Um but it, also, Alan Ruck, probably better known, honestly, at this point from Succession, right? He's like one of the Roy kids in Succession. Yeah, maybe nowadays. I mean, certainly Ferris is still his most iconic role. But yeah, I think, I think, uh, yeah, he, you know, a lot of people nowadays would know him for that. Um, but, 
but yeah, no, I, I think the supporting cast gets the job done if it's, you know, though it's not like one of the standout elements of the movie. Yeah, I, and I will say, I am i don't know if you've seen this or not, but there was someone, like, I, I think it was, I don't remember who asked if it was an interview or what, but Christopher Lennon definitely on Twitter said that maybe one day Tree and, and um, I, what, I'm forgetting Catherine Newton's character's name Millie. in the movie. Millie, yeah. Um, might cross paths one day. So it seems like that they might be a shared universe of, yes. of, of weirdness there going on. Blissfield and I forget the college that, that Tree and Carter attend. but Bayfield, I believe, isn't it? Bayfield. I Bayfield and Blissfield. The, it's the Bayfield it Babies. Out. I think it's the Bayfield Babies, yeah. Um, yeah ba- Bayfield and Blissfield sound like they could definitely be neighboring towns. So Yeah. All right, uh, Scott, let's talk about some of the kill sequences because we haven't really no, gotten not? into them a lot. Uh, you know, we mentioned Alan Ruck there, there, but there's some there's some fun ones. At the beginning, uh, like, I, I mean, I don't know if you got the same vibe, but I mean, that was a straight up ode to Scream if I've ever seen one, right? That that beginning, this self-contained sequence, oh, yeah. like even to the way that it unfolds, right? Because like the parents come home at the very end, just like the parents come home for Casey at the end of the scene in Scream. You have like the parents come in, their reaction, and then hard cut to the like opening titles. Like that was exact. I mean, that was obvious. There was like, a lot of homages to scream in this. That wasn't, yeah. that wasn't the only one. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. But that was yeah. a, a clear one to me. But so there's that one. There's what happens to Ryler, right? Who is like the mean girl in the movie. Um, and, you know, there's a few others as well, which I thought were all, you know, pretty creative. What, what about you? Was there any that stood out for you? Did you think they, they all set a pretty high standard of creativity throughout the movie? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about so so certainly some some of them creative, yes. The two if we don't talk about disturbing ones, like obviously, although I think the shop teacher was dead already at this point, but act, literally sawing him in half was was a bit much probably in terms of gruesomeness. But uh, the only other one that really disturbed me a little bit was actually the very first one, which is the wine bottle uh, in the base in, in like the cellar in the yeah. opening scene, which is an absolutely brutal one. Um, that was a tough one to watch. Honestly, that was a little tough to watch. I think that having just seen Vince Vaughn's character shove this wine, this like, I don't know if this was a broken wine bottle or an unbroken one, but this wine bottle down this kid's throat and it burst. It was broken. Cause right, remember, he dropped, he drops it and he's all mad. Cause he spilled. Yeah. Yeah. Breath. Yeah. That was a pretty brutal one Yeah, uh, to, yeah. to watch, frankly. But yeah, those are, those are the ones that in terms of disturbingness stood out, but like in terms of like satisfying kill sequences, the last one at the end of the movie, Chef's Kiss. Yeah, I don't want to say too much, but it was good. Um, but and and, that, and honestly, that's another place where it kind of odes to scream what yeah. happened sort of in the last fifteen minutes or so. But um, but yeah, with the with the shop teacher scene, it's like um, you know, once once she turns on the saw, right? Like, there's no going back, right? Like, yeah. even if she could kill you him, can't in not way, kill him. You way, have to way. kill him via <laughs> yeah, the saw. Yeah. Like, you have to use the saw. So. Uh, I don't I don't fault them too much for that. But honestly, my favorite is the Ryler. Like there's something yeah, so that's funny creative. about like, well, yeah, yeah, when she comes out of the thing and he and he just like touches. She just like, I guess he, she, whatever, however you want to use the pronouns. They make fun of that in the movie, too. But um, yeah. just touches her and it's like a, you know, well, marble she fa- statue. She, fall, she falls out of the machine. And she, yeah, yeah, that's and what it is. And yeah. She, and, right. and it's just like a marble statue shattering. I, the um, only thing I will say about this is that it was like negative 300 degrees was what it was. Yeah, Something like that. I don't know if it was Fahrenheit or Celsius, but if it was Celsius, then it's literally not even possible. But yeah, yeah, yeah. she would have been like vaporized. But <laughs> well, no, 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 yeah. no, it's like like the lowest you can go in Celsius is negative seventy three. So yeah, that's absolute zero. So I mean, yeah. it must have been Fahrenheit, but even still, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's obviously not going for scientific accuracy. I don't think, but 
Um, Time stops at that at that temperature. But yeah, that was a that was a fun <laughs> sequence. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I guess if there's anything else to talk about, I mean, you know, the the body swap, whether it works or not, I think we we've already kind of yeah. got into that. What do you think about? Here's one thing I will ask you about because we had a little bit of conversation about this. There's a romance subplot right involving uh, this character that we haven't really talked about, Booker, who is like Millie's. There's a reason crush. we haven't talked about him. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, he, he is Millie's crush. He ends up being, you know, playing a part in the the plot as we get deeper into the movie. Uh, did you feel that was just kind of like, you know, shoehorned in just to, for the sake of having a romance subplot? Or did that, did you feel anything uh, for, Frank, you know, yeah. their relationship? Frankly, I think it was shoehorned in for the sake of having a romance plot. I think that it does try to take that romance plot and make something heartfelt out of it specifically with that car scene that you're talking about. And I think that that scene and that conversation does lend itself to this, you know, this other sub narrative of the movie around Millie actually feeling comfortable opening up to people more when she's not in her own body. Even in this case, like obviously Booker knows who she is and stuff like that, but it, it, it does feed into that narrative. But ultimately I did really feel like it was just shoehorned in to have that sort of romance aspect. I don't think there is much there. And I think that what it's trying to accomplish was just to, to your point, And I think that was a very heartfelt scene was accomplished by that scene in the discount store with, with the mom. So I think it, it does lend itself to that narrative. So it doesn't feel out of place for what it was used for in the grand scheme of things, but it does feel shoehorned in and ultimately unnecessary for what it was. Yeah. I, I was okay with it until like one point. I mean, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but um, whatever. This now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I think like in the car scene, right, or where, where he's like, I've liked you from day one, he comes out and says that. I didn't feel like that was necessary, right? Like I would have liked it a lot more if he had been like, Oh, well, you know, I never really paid that much attention to you in the past, whatever. But now that I have now that we've had this experience, I've gotten to see who you are. You've opened up to me here in this scene, talking yeah. about, you know, your bullying experiences, whatever. I appreciate you as a person maybe there can be some sort of romantic thing for us down the line. But for him to like, just do a full 180 from where I expected this character to go and be like, Oh, I, I liked you from day one. I don't know. I, I felt like that they kind of threw believability out the window there, even Hold though on. it does, it does lead to a funny moment. Like, yeah, maybe this is more of the like expected humor, but I still can't believe they went there of them, like going in for the kiss uh, with him and Vince Vaughn. I mean, it was clear that they didn't actually, you know, and, and when they were filming it, but uh, it was still really funny uh, to see. And then they were just like, maybe we should do this later. Like the hand, your hand is bigger than my face. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I, which, I, which was good. To your point here. And this is something that I was thinking about the film. Is this like, if this is true, this kid is awful. He's like standing there in so yeah. many different instances in the movie where like, she's being bullied by Ryler and her friends. He's like standing five feet away when that's happening. He's also like on the football team standing next to the guy who throws like, like the Gatorade or whatever cup at her and like gets on the, is it beaver? Or I don't remember exactly what the, what the mascot was. Uh, I think it was a beaver, but maybe it wasn't but, like this guy. If this is true that he likes her from like day one or whatever, like, the kid is awful. Like you should not like him. He's like a total dick. Yeah. To her then, or yeah. just like stands by while other people are. So I, I don't know. That was my. Thought. I will say, unrelated to the uh, the romance, he does serve one other impor important uh, you know purpose in the plot, which I actually thought was a it was a nice reveal or a nice little twist. Yeah, that, that was end. good. I did see uh, it coming, with, but that was good with the watch thing. Um, 
when you know he tells her always set your your watch five minutes ahead um so that you're not late to anything um and it ends up you know she get you get to the end of the day, they've captured um they've captured the Vince Vaughn in Millie's body they've captured the butcher uh midnight appears to have come though it's it seems to be too late and then you realize oh she followed his advice she set uh the clock forward and they they still have five more minutes uh, no it was like, his I, watch it was his watch that, that right right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah um i i figured it out like like you said when immediately when, yeah. uh yeah when uh you know it was midnight happened or whatever and they were like we, we've lost i was like oh man how are they going to get out of this like what's going to be the hook there and then like it's it dawned on me right yeah. as she was like she's yeah. you know she said five minutes forward or whatever but so that was good nothing wrong um, with, with figuring out the twist before it happens i i did as well but it was it was nice it was i was it was satisfying it was yeah it was it yeah. was well constructed right like it was it was a well constructed thing you know they dangled it in front of you yeah. um and then they there's there was the payoff um yeah scott anything else you want to add about freaky before we move into our wrap-up phase no more Catherine newton please yeah, she's she's great. I mean, like, look, add it to the long list of, of I feel like young actresses, uh, like twenty something actresses who uh, are not getting the attention that they deserve. Finally, finally, Anya Taylor Joy is getting the attention she deserves. It's so weird to me. I, this is kind of a non sequitur, but it's so weird to me that this show is that Queen's Gambit is finally getting her the recognition she does. Like everyone is watching this thing. The freaking yeah. redneck Tennessee fans that I follow on Twitter are like watching this and loving it. like I, I don't know why this was the thing and not like you know glass split the witch whatever that finally like got people to realize that hey she's the real deal but hey better late than never and she's still really young so i think it's um, honestly scott it's this cra- it's crazy i think that we often don't necessarily appreciate it as much i mean I, I think we reference it when we talk about netflix movies like extraction the old guard like 90 million people are watching these movies yeah. and like tens of millions of people are watching the queen's gambit and you just don't get those kind of eyes on even the even a movie like Split, which is probably the biggest yeah. movie she's done, like doesn't get 25, 30 million eyes on it in the US. And sure, it's awesome because yeah. like honestly, it might be her best performance in the Queen's Gambit of anything she's done. And she's like she's just she's awesome. Like she's so good. She's probably like probably the best young actress yeah. right now for me. This, yeah, I, I totally agree. But it, the sad thing right now is that she's no longer the the secret or whatever. We can no longer be like, let me show you someone who's good. Now everybody's going to know who she is. But hey, look, it's going to get her more roles in the long run, which is fine. I mean, look, she's already going to be in the next Edgar Wright movie and as Furiosa. But anyway, Catherine Newton belongs on that list. Uh, back to the point, Catherine Newton deserves to be up there with, uh, you know, Anya's and Haley Richardson and all these other people that we talk about a lot. Um, and uh, I'm glad that she got this showcase. Christopher Landon, he knows how to pick them when it comes to young actresses. Uh, because like, obviously, Je- Jessica Ruth hasn't done anything else besides Happy Death Day. Yeah, she, well, she's not. Ma- she has done other things, but she's not, not good. making good good choices. Yeah. yeah, that the trailer for her next movie played before this. Movie, it looks awful. Unwatchable. Um, <laughs> yeah, it looks really bad. But I, I still have faith in her. She has a, a lot of charisma. I think. Um, she'll also, Catherine Newton was in uh, Little Women from 2017. She was, yeah. She was a little bit, again, a little bit miscast there. She was Amy, uh, right? She was Amy, and again, she was a little. She had like the Florence Pugh old thing where she was a little bit too old to play the yeah. youngest March sister, and it came off as a little like here's an older person kind of acting like a child. Florence Pugh was able to do it because she's Florence Pugh, right? Still, and she it just still like, boggles my mind. It's kind of a miracle Florence performance, the honestly. 
it yeah. just doesn't make any sense to me that she's younger than um than Beth in the film. It doesn't, but that's the thing. It doesn't like draw attention to that fact at all, which is which is fine. Whereas I think Catherine Newton, it, you know, her performance is a little more like whiny, a little bit. You're like, oh, she's acting a lot, um, you know, younger than she should be. But anyway, uh, she's really good. Uh, I'm sorry the society got canceled, but she's going to go on to do bigger and better things. Uh, yep. Scott, favorite favorite scene or moment from uh, from Freaky? Yeah, good question. I think there's lots of a uh, lots of fun. I think for me. Not like outside the kill sequences, which I think some of them are really fun. Like the, I mean, okay, cool. Sure. We haven't talked about that much, but I, I will say that it's the last scene, right? Like, cause there's this moment in the film where I'm like, the, the movie seems to me like it's over, right? Like it's over in the body. They've body swapped back. And this is full, full spoilers. At this point. Like vent, like the butcher has been shot multiple times. You think he's dead or whatever. And even that scene after with the ambulance, like, I, I feel like it's just like setting up a sequel, right? Like honestly, that, that when I was watching that scene, it just felt like it was setting up a sequel. And I'm like, that's kind of a bummer. Like, there's a lot of really great things about this film, but it doesn't have this, like, really satisfying villain kill scene, which I was, like, really hoping for. And it just doesn't have it. And, and I'm like, that's such a bummer that they don't do it. And then to realize that, no, it's not, like, yes, there may be a sequel, but it's not setting up a sequel. There is this other, you know, final scene that's going to happen. And that kill scene is very good. Very, very good, where <laughs> it essentially ends with Catherine Newton roundhouse kicking this, like, pull through Vince Vaughn that is pretty badass. Uh, that was a great moment. But like outside of a kill scene, I think that that f- the funniest moment in the, the film for me is when Josh, who is the male friend of Catherine Newton's character, Millie, is like watching the butcher who is in, you know, in Millie's body. And there's this scene where his mom comes home early. I talked about already the comedic aspect of him uh, pretending to be straight to his mom, which was really that was a really funny moment for me. But the, the, one of those two moments, probably my favorite of the film. Yeah, they, yeah, that was good. Um yeah, no, uh, there's there's a lot of choices. Uh, I mean, I was trying to think of like a favorite comedic moment, uh, but I'm you know I've singled out a few. I guess I'll just go with the uh, the kill sequence with Ryler that I mentioned in the. Uh, I, I love that her name is Ryler too, right? That is such Terrible a name. like white girl, like a, mean white girl, white mean girl, like rich name. Like yeah. I I love that. I, I thought that was on point. Skyler uh, wasn't good enough for her. It had to be Ryler. But yeah, uh, it, I mean the the freezing part of it is like cool, fine, whatever. That's, that's a, you know, inventive way to kill someone. But then it is just like that moment of her, like crumbling apart that like I did, that was one of the moments where I did like audibly laugh. So, um, I, I you know, shout out to them for the staging of that. Um, all right, let's put a score on it. Scott, what do you get freaky out of 10? 7.4. Yeah, for me, you know, this is the most fun that I've had watching a movie in the theaters this year, maybe this entire year, period um and it's not an award nominee you know it's it's not high art or anything but for what it's aiming to do uh it's a huge success in in a for a genre fair and so i give it a lot of points for that and i give it a 9.2 overall uh i think it's absolutely a great movie and if you feel safe going out to your local theaters um you should go and support it because i know there there were some people who were talking to christopher landon about you know, we were a little upset that he didn't put this out on VOD immediately. And he was like, I get it. It's going to be out soon. Don't worry. But we did want to, you know, support local theaters, um, do what we can to try and keep everything afloat for, you know, a few weeks longer while we try to get this COVID thing figured out. So if you feel comfortable, if you feel safe going out, um, obviously wear your mask. You know, we don't need to tell you that. Um, but go to the theater and, and check this out while it has its run here because it's it's so much fun. 
Yeah, and, and I will say one thing on, on that note is that this film, I mean, we talk about anytime Blumhouse movies come up, Invisible Man, whatever it might be. Like, this film is only on a $6 million budget. Even in COVID times, right? Like The movie made $6 million this weekend yeah. internationally. And, like, this is... I, I know that not every film can be like this, right? Like, there's minimal effects being done on this movie. Like, everything is is very practical. There's no, like, huge set-piece moments, right? Like, the way Blumhouse movies pretty much all, almost always work, right? And not every film can be... Like, you can't make a Chris Nolan movie on a $6 million budget, right? But, like, for the films that are going to be released over the next five, six months, right? Like, this is the type of movie that has to be released. Like, it has to, it has to be on a small budget, right? Like, if you want to make money back. And it shows that, like, if you are f- very meager with your budget, frankly, and you're able to target your movie well and appeal to your audiences, like, pe- like a limited number of people will go out and see it. And when this film comes out on VOD, I think it's gonna it's gonna make a lot more money. Honestly, like, I think it I think it will because it's gonna build good word of mouth with people who went and saw it in the theater, and it's gonna do well. And, and like, look, like, in a perfect world, like you know, perfect non-COVID world, I'm sure this movie would make like ten times as much money as it did, probably, right? Like, not on its opening weekend, but like. Overall, it'll make a lot more money. But this is the type of this is the type of movie in terms of budget, etc., that is gonna is gonna be the types of movies that you're gonna see in theaters. I think over the next four or five months, because frankly, any big budget movie over the Christmas period, it's not gonna come out. Like that, movie, those movies are gonna get pushed. Yeah, totally. And and that's why I mentioned, like, I think Promising Young Woman, which I mentioned earlier, might be a good example of something that you can expect to see. Because I don't imagine it costs that much money either. Um, but uh, Surprise yeah, me sometimes. We- it it does it does surprise me. I mean, it it is a a bigger studio than Blumhouse, I believe. But um, well, it's all universal. It's just focused it, yeah, that's true. It is it is universal too. But um, yeah. Anyway, Scott, uh, that'll do it for our review of Freaky. After the break, we're going to discuss a couple of news items, including some new casting news for uh, Brad Pitt's new film Bullet Train, uh, as well as uh, the first nominations of awards season twenty twenty. It's happening, everyone. Um, we will discuss maybe. those. It's when maybe we- happening. Yeah, well, at least one award show seems to be that it will be happening. Yeah. Uh, and we'll discuss those nominations uh, right after this break. Stay tuned. The Zoomies will happen. back to this episode of some like it scott it's got a couple of news items to hit here before we conclude and uh, i want to go to you first because uh we talked i think either last time or the episode before about uh, this new brad pitt action film that's going to be coming out called uh bullet train and we now have some casting some more casting news a supporting cast member uh that is joining this picture and i know that you in particular are excited yeah, I can't remember when I selected this actress as like someone to watch out for. I think it might have been last year. I think it was 2019. Think but so, yeah, yeah. The, you know, I was already excited about this film with Brad, you know, Brad Pitt in the lead, Aaron Taylor Johnson as maybe like a second lead or the main supporting role. But the or cast villain. is or villain, yeah, unclear. Un- uncl- unclear exactly what the roles are, but I'm assuming Brad Pitt would be the quote unquote hero. And we talked about the the plot of this film. It's gonna be like all these different assassins trying to kill each other on this train this bullet train in Tokyo or outside Tokyo in Japan. And we are starting to get some more, uh, like it sounds like a, basically a, dr- a drip feed of the other cast in this movie. And the first of that drip feed was one that honestly may have even been more exciting for me than Brad Pitt. And that is because Zazie beats is supposed to be, you know, having 
supposed to be cast here in a main supporting role to go alongside Brad Pitt and Aaron Taylor Johnson. I was already excited about this film. As you noted, Scott, we talked about it. I think it was a few episodes ago now. And look like this is awesome. Like I, I picked her. I, like I said, now that I'm thinking more about, it, I think 2019 cause she had Joker and she had something else coming out. I've been very vocal about how excited I am for nine days, which is sort of this weird science fiction um, drama about, I think it's like about choosing which souls get like put into the world, which is Winston Duke and Zashi beats. And to see her lined up for this action movie now with Brad Pitt, I assume she's going to be one of the assassins. Maybe she won't be. I'll be disappointed if she's not, but also I'll be excited um, is awesome. Right. Cause we've seen her in several different types of things. We saw her sort of as an assassin in um, Deadpool two. She wasn't an assassin, but she was Domino in Deadpool two. And she played that actiony role really well. And so to actually see here in a more, a presumably more grounded action type role than something like Deadpool two. That's really exciting for me. And I don't know how much this does for you, but I'm trying to think of someone just kind of like a, a relatively unknown person. Cause she's not mainstream yet. I don't think like she's getting no. there, but she's not mainstream yet. I'm trying to think of someone else who, who'd be in that sort of mold who they could have cast in this film. That would have gotten me more excited than casting um, beats in it, but I can't think of anyone else. It's really awesome. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's cool. I think like with her, uh, yeah, after, out of Deadpool too, everyone was talking about her. Like there was a lot of buzz surrounding her after that. Yeah. Like, oh man, she's gonna she's gonna be something. And then maybe we like jumped the gun a little bit on her because Wait, the stuff yeah. that she had coming out the next year, right? Like in Joker, yeah. yeah, she she was not in it that much. And um, I'm trying to think what what else was she in last year that she wasn't really. She was I, in. I mean, she was in Bird. Bird, Yeah, the thing. She, so yeah, she was she, also in Lucy in the Sky, which I think literally no one saw. I don't think anyone. Saw oh that yeah, movie. yeah, that movie. And she but was in Seaberg, which was the Kristen Stewart uh, biopic. Right, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So that, uh, but but I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, I think her time is coming now, right? Like I think we're going to see her. You know, you've mentioned a, a few projects there, right? Not just uh, Bullet Train, but uh, this movie she's going to be in with, with Winston Duke. I think now maybe is when she's going to start getting around to like that breakthrough that uh, everyone expected from her. So I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good choice. I hope that uh, she isn't, you know, squandered like she was in Joker, um, you know, starring alongside a big actor and Joaquin Phoenix there, Brad Pitt here, but I, I don't see that being the case for, for this movie, but who knows? Uh, you know, stranger things have happened, but I, uh, I look forward to seeing her in this movie, even though like, I, you know, I'm not as super excited, uh, you know, for this casting as, as you are. Like, I, I think it, it, it'll be cool to see her in something where she gets a more substantial role, but uh, I still want to see some more before I'm like totally sold on her. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that's fair. I think that nine days, I think that's going to be a big one um, for, for her. Winston Duke is the lead, but she, I think she is the main supporting role and the rest of the cast is really good. Like Bill Skarsgård, Benedict Wong, Tony Hale are all in this, which is a pretty eclectic cast of people there. And I think that, that seems to be more of a traditional, I won't say Oscar Betty because it's still like supernatural sort of purgatory like setting. But I think that will be one that will really show that yes, she can do the performance, like the actiony performance, like a domino and a Deadpool two. And we saw something from her and Joker, which was not obviously more action. That was much more drama focused type role. I think that we're going to see more of that in nine days. And I'm hoping that it delivers on that. And then hopefully everyone else will also feed into that sort of hype cycle for, something like this where she's doing another action film. And it also just shows that she can, she can do everything. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I hope that that is the case. Um, 
But Scott, uh, the story that I wanted to talk about uh, is, like I said before the break, the first awards nominations of awards season have come out. Uh, and as usual, it is the Gotham Awards, right? These are typically known as being the first uh, nominations to come out um, every awards season, sort of signaling the beginning of awards season. Uh, and these are, focus. yes, I was going to say, these are specifically for independent films. Um, so, you know, a lot of the films on the list may not be exactly things you've heard of, but uh, your best picture nominees this year. And it, it's definitely a little bit of a flex, right? Because yeah. uh, you will, you may have seen that these were all directed by women. Uh, and you Betty you know, White dab gif. It's, it is a little bit of a flex, but at the same time, right? It's not like they are nominating Black Christmas or something out here just so they can <laughs> get female directors in. Like these are all well-reviewed, well-received movies that you could reasonably expect to see in this type of category. But your nominees for, for best feature is what it is called. Uh, the Assistant. Uh, the, uh, yeah, First Cow, which is a Kelly Reichert film. Uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Uh, Nomad Land, of course, which is the uh, best picture favorite from Chloe Zhao. And then Relic, which is this horror uh, film with Emily Mortimer that came out a couple of months ago. Um, and yeah, like, I think, like I think that that is the film that is the one that sticks out to me as probably. does this belong here? <laughs> that movie wasn't yeah. that well reviewed. I, yeah, I mean, I think it has you know, slightly above average, slightly positive reviews probably. Um, but it is, I think the thing that surprises me more about it is that it is, you know, a genre film. Like it's, it's, it's a horror film from what I understand, but I haven't seen it yet, but, uh, it, that yes, maybe, it, is a, it is a horror film. I don't, that I don't maybe is a, about that. It's a little bit of a surprise. Right. But at the same time, if they were just trying to throw in movies to get the female director, right. Like they could have thrown in, one Night in Miami, right? Which is a, a big... It may not award. have qualified for it, though. That's true, that's true, because I guess it is Amazon Studios, which probably doesn't count as a uh, an independent studio. So so that is true. But I feel like there's probably one or two more movies that they could have maybe thrown in there. But regardless, uh, it's really cool to see this, right? After last year with the Oscars and everything that happened with you know Little Women and a bunch of other films, um, perhaps not being recognized as much as they should have, female directors specifically not being yeah. recognized as much as they should have, um it's great to see that you know five films here i mean i have only seen of these i've only seen the assistant which i is very good in my opinion um nomad land i think i'm gonna love when it comes out in a, a few weeks uh and first cow i'm definitely watching before the end of the year and i expect to to really enjoy that one as well so yeah also, as far as I, know, I will i will uh raise my hand and say i was wrong i relic has a 91 on rotten tomatoes and a 70 yeah okay there's something on metacritic so clearly well-reviewed film i take it back yeah, it's it, it. Like I said, I think it is more just the genre thing for me. But Scott, yeah. looking beyond the uh, best picture, uh, we do have a couple of acting categories. They don't do supporting actor at the Gotham Awards, but uh, for best actor, uh, you have Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal. You have uh, you know one of the Oscar favorites, I think Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah, the first uh, reviews have started to come out for that. Apparently, it's. I mean, I look, maybe it's part of that whole posthumous appeal of it, but people are raving about it. Yeah. You have a uh, Jude Law in the Nest, which is a movie I still want to see really bad, but it, you can't find it anywhere really right now. Um, John Magaro in First Cow, and then Jesse Plemons, and I'm thinking of ending things. And then in the actress category, uh, you have Nicole Bahari in Miss Juneteenth. I think that was it. Was that a Netflix film? I think it was. Um, That's right. Yeah, Jesse Jesse Buckley, and I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, Yajung Yoon in Minari, which I found interesting that she was nominated, and Steven Yoon did not get nominated. In the actor category and also what i was even more disappointed to see was that alan kim right who plays the little boy in minari and i think it might be even the best performance in the movie and is wonderful 
did not make it in for the breakthrough actor category where I would have expected that would have been the one where we might have seen him. But uh, just going down the list, also Carrie Coon, one of my favorites from The Nest, yeah. uh, got nominated. And Frances McDormand, who is probably, again, the favorite here, but, uh, you know, nominated for Nomad, Nomadland, of course. So a really great uh, field of, of actresses there. Obviously, I, uh, I don't I'm not familiar with Nicole Bahari or with Miss Juneteenth that much, but. Uh, right, you know, Miss I, is not. It's just on VOD. It's vertical okay. entertainment. It's a dance movie. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Not too shabby. But, you know, I love Jesse Buckley. I love what she did. And, and I'm thinking of ending things. I loved Minari and everything in that movie. And yeah, Carrie Coon and, and Francis McDormand are very reliable. Um, always do fantastic work. So um, great to see them in there. And then, yeah, like I said, there's the stuff to watch this year. Who knew? Do what? Is that there's good movies left to watch this year? Who knew? Yeah, there are. Hey, look, there's. I've I've watched some. I've been telling you there's some you need to watch. But, uh, yeah, um, but then as I mentioned, the uh, the breakthrough actor category is also there. No names that you'll really recognize, probably by virtue of the uh, the category, except you know the the one which does stand out for me, just because I've seen the movie is uh, Kingsley Benadire for. Uh, one night in Miami, he plays Malcolm X. I think he is, you know, it's it's a really tough choice, but I think he is the strongest one out of the um, the ensemble. He's he was also in High Fidelity, uh, which I'm so mad that it got canceled. Still, uh, the the miniseries with uh, Zoe Kravitz on Hulu. Don't he was blame one Amazon. Of, blame the people who didn't watch it. Yeah, he was one of the main recurring characters on that. It's and Hulu, I think not Amazon. Sorry, it's Hulu. My bad. Hulu. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. The Gotham Awards, Scott. I don't know how good of a predictor these are going to be for um, the Oscars and stuff like that. Again, probably I think not. the only, yeah, probably not that much. I think the only things maybe that we can expect are probably you know Nomadland getting recognized, and then Ch- Chadwick Boseman's performance um, in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think is a pretty safe bet for an Oscar nomination. You know, and maybe Bill Davis, I'd imagine, for. True, but she did not get nominated. Um, at, yeah, I'm at just the saying, Gotham. I think that yeah. she will get nominated, and whoever, you know, and take out random name from an indie movie and the Gotham Award nominees, and probably. Oh yeah, quality. yeah, totally. I'm just looking at what actually did get nominated and saying what you will probably see at the Oscars. But like the Nomadland recognition, Chatter's Postman. I don't know how good Riz Ahmed's chances are for Sound of Metal. The movie is probably a little too small, but you know that that is one where like I wouldn't be shocked if he if that he is Amazon's some... big push. Probably though, that's probably like all they have. For, Maybe yeah for awards. Well, season, they, but I they have one night one night in Miami. Is oh, I forgot they, push, that was yeah. them. Yeah, that, um, that's true. That's a good point. But yeah, but I would, I mean, I wouldn't be stunned if he gained some traction, maybe as as more people see this movie, because that's that's definitely what I want to catch before. The Who's the, the support years. in that film? Because the support is also, I know there wasn't supporting, there wasn't a supporting category in this one. But she, <sighs> I can't remember that movie's also. Oh, it's Olivia, it's Olivia Cook. That's who it, it is. is. Yes, it is. I was yeah. like, I I remember looking it up. I can't remember specifically who it is, but yeah, um, Olivia Cook, I believe that is correct. Um, yes. So yeah, I don't know. They, I don't know how much awards, but she really, she legitimately has around her. But yeah, not a nobody. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Um, but yeah, there you go, Scott. Gotham Award nominations. You know, here's one award show which it seems like will go on. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad to see again. Uh, you know, I haven't seen a lot of these films yet, but you know, I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, Minari and The Assistant. These are some of the best movies I've seen this year. So I, uh, I'm glad to see them getting recognized in many contexts. So there you go. Um, I think that should do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, Scott, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelton2013.
And uh, you can find me at Scarvey Dent. Uh, don't forget to check out uh, our podcast Patreon page, Media Plug Podcast, uh, patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods. Um, you can support us over there. Check out all the tiers. Even if you can't support us, um, check out uh, you know our podcast on every podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. Um, you know, do all of the things you do, like rate, review, subscribe, uh, and you know, continue to support. And you know, continue to support us in whatever means you can. Uh, that includes subscribing to the newsletter. I mentioned this in this week's newsletter, but I'm going to be have to do those a little bit more infrequently now that I am going to be starting my new job really soon. Uh, but I still want to get those out because uh, I really do um, enjoy uh, doing those. And, you know, it seems like people, you know, our small audience that we have that reads them actually does read them and enjoy enjoys reading them. So uh, I want to keep doing them for that reason. But that'll do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, please join us for our next episode of the podcast when we will be discussing our very anticipated uh, yes. fo- follow-up to Anish Shiganti's uh, Searching, our joint number one film of 2018. That movie is called Run, and it will be uh, premiering on Hulu next week, uh, and we'll be talking about that on the next episode of Some Like It, Scott. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I am Scott Harvey. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.